Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode 287, Danny Scott and Zach Lacken of Coin Corner join me to talk about a few things. We're talking about Hoffline wallets, a new type of wallet that uh, is an improvement in certain contexts and under certain trade-offs. We also talk a bit about lightning adoption as well. This show brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin holds a deep conviction that Bitcoin is the future of money. Swan's aim is to help you maximize your position in this dominant digital monetary network. As a Swan private client, you will have unlimited access to their team's strategic resources and commitment to Bitcoin education. Bitcoin is an asymmetric investment of unparalleled proportions, rapidly becoming the preeminent wealth preservation asset for every individual and institution in the world. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family or company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. The Swan private team stands ready to earn the right to walk alongside you on every step of this journey into the future of money. Learn more at swanbitcoin.com slash private or email CEO Corey Clipston directly, corey at swanbitcoin.com. Are you looking for some non-KYC peer-to-peer loans? Lent at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can collateralize your Bitcoin and borrow stable coins. Or on the other hand, you can put up your stable coins and get some interest. So you can earn income on those stable coins, and the average APR is 25%. On the other hand, if you want to collateralize your bitcoins you can now borrow against them and you will still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature as hodl hodl does not hold your funds so this is a peer-to-peer lending market and enabling lending and borrowing but directly between users so you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend at the interest rate go to lend.hodlhodl.com Do you want to get involved in Bitcoin mining? There's a lot of chatter now about the upcoming difficulty adjustment. Compass is an online marketplace, making it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. So this is not a cloud mounting option. You select an ASIC machine and have it sent to a facility that has been vetted by the Compass team. And now everyone can tap into economies of scale, getting access to reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure about how to get started, Compass offer hardware and hosting bundles, eliminating the need for advanced technical knowledge. Go and get started at compassmining.io. Danny and Zach, welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. Thank you. Thanks thanks for having us. Um, Great to finally speak to you. Yeah, yeah. So I see you guys are doing some exciting things and I uh, thought it was time to get you boys on for a chat. So let's hear a little bit about you and, uh, you know, how you got into, well, I guess, Danny, let's start with you and let's hear a little bit from you and how you started Coin Corner. Okay. Yep. I'll jump in. Uh, I'll keep this brief. Um, the So I was, I kind of got involved in Bitcoin um, more on a hands-on level, probably about 2012, 2013. Pretty that had kind of popped up a few times in the past that a couple of companies I was working for and was looking at various competitive advantages shall we say um, and that kind of uh, cropped up a few times as, as an opportunity uh, we never went ahead with any of them and then that was again more management level didn't really understand it didn't know what it was it was in magic internet money I guess uh, it was the, uh, the, the the feedback I guess we got along the way but eventually then uh, kind of I spun off with one of our co-founders and we created a software company um, and then we pulled ourselves kind of back in towards the Bitcoin about 2012-13 and then we started mining a little bit and we were mining for a year or so I think that was and then we got to 
point where obviously the assets were difficult to acquire uh, that became a bit of a arms race to get us the assets but uh, obviously being we were on the island man which is a little island off uh, england if people are not sure where mm-hmm. that is um it's in between the the irish sea and between ireland and uh, the uk awesome so we we struggled to get anything uh, in terms of the assets and then the electricity costs were increasing due to obviously we needed more assets on there and it didn't quite it wasn't really feasible as a business model for where we were and, and how we was um, able to, to source the assets so we we wanted to stay in the bitcoin world so we we pivoted we were software developers by trade so we kind of pivoted to creating coin corner because um, at the time again it was sort of 2014 at that point the start of 2014 and we got to a point where uh, it was very difficult still to buy bitcoin especially in the uk uh, obviously the us they had coinbase and, and the likes there still at that time um but yeah we struggled to buy bitcoins which is why actually we originally started mining rather than buying them because we couldn't find a, a, a decent platform back in the day to, to buy something on. uh we i was fortunate enough not to end up on the the mountain gox and the mountain gox situation right um, yeah i don't know i don't know why we, i think we just stayed clear of that generally just because it was a, a kind of japanese style um site and we were trying to find the uk one i think at the time um <laughs> That's interesting, hey, because most people back in those days were on Mt. Gox. Like Mt. Gox pretty much was Bitcoin yeah. back then. So it's funny. But uh, I guess, you know, people have, have their different experiences. Hey, um, so uh, Zach, let's hear from you as well. Yeah, so I didn't um, I didn't really know much at all about Bitcoin really until probably about mid-2017. Um, kind of fresh grad, computer science degree, working in a corporate software development house. And then I had a colleague, um, Liam, who used to work here at Coin Corner. He kind of reached out and said, there's a job going, which piqued my interest. So kind of jumped in there and uh, been down the rabbit hole ever since, really. Now looking back, as I came in right at the tail end of the block size wars. So I've recently read the the book by Jonathan Bier on that. Um, so that was really eye-opening because I, I arrived at the company towards the tail end of that time. And um, yeah, so I'm fairly new but old, four years now at the company. Um, yeah, yeah Zach's our tech lead here as well. The yeah, Very fully much. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, Danny, let's get into this uh, offline wallet idea. So it, it seems like such a crazy thing. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe you want to set the scene for us. Like why why were you even thinking about this idea? Like doesn't everyone just use, you know, uh, multi-sig or just use, say, one of the well-known custodians, like say a BitGo or an Anchorage or one of those? Yeah, so I I guess I'll, I'll set the scene a little bit, um, try and keep it uh, entertaining because I don't think it's as exciting as uh, sometimes it sounds, does it? Okay. Um, so I think we were um, not to wanting to, to slag off uh, the likes of Coinbase, but it was Coinbase um, <laughs> coincidentally at the time. Uh, I think they'd added one of the altcoins uh, the previous night and um, I, me and Zach came into the office in the morning and as we do quite often, we're in um, before everyone else and we'll sit here chatting about various things that have got happened in the night or tech issues on on sort of bitcoin itself core or, or whatever that be um and we was going through kind of a bit of a rant about coinbase and how mm-hmm. they basically they've got the, the funds they've got the resource they've got everything at their disposal and they don't really do too much for the bitcoin uh, industry and this was before um i think peter mccormick had convinced um brian armstrong to start contributing to bitcoin core developers and things so it was even before that so we was kind of like you know we were thinking them same thoughts why are you guys you've got everything at your disposal and you're doing nothing to help the industry so we was thinking, you know, they could be doing all sorts of crazy ideas. And obviously one of them that popped up was a hot wallet that is purely offline. The keys are purely offline. So we sort of said that's obviously a ridiculous idea. We just sort of, you, you brush it off and leave it. Um, and then we thought, well, why can't we? We've seen cold storage do that with QR codes and, and that side. So we 
started talking around them and how that would work. And then we sort of touched on, well, what if we automate the QR codes to just go backwards and forwards between themselves and then communicate in an automated mm. manner? Um, so we had a look around and couldn't really find anything that was doing anything similar. We thought it was a ridiculous idea and, and maybe <laughs> it still is. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see and let people judge on that. Yeah, yeah. And maybe do you want to also set the scene a little bit in terms of what most, you know, because of all the hacks that have gone on in this industry, so many people have lost money. And, you know, as we say, it's a perennial saying, not your keys, not your coins. And so typically, I guess most exchanges would like have like a smaller hot wallet, and then they'd keep most of their stuff in a cold wallet, right? And that cold wallet is where they might have multi-signature and so on, or they might be using a custodian who is in turn doing some of those more advanced techniques. So I guess, is that kind of a good high level of what most exchanges would be doing at this point yeah yeah completely yeah, yeah i think so as an exchange probably our biggest attack vector would be our hot wallet so we're always so this was more of a taking what the guys in the cold wallet sector are doing and then with the air gap to qr codes and trying to solve our problems with uh, mitigating our hot wallet exposure and that kind of thing yeah it's a different use case almost to what we, we see but it's using mm. the same methods i guess along the way to solve different problems uh, which i think you find there's a lot of different companies that we touched on bitgo and, and there's fireblocks and the likes that are doing the mpc methods um, bitgo do the multi-sig method um, and there's different ways but they all obviously still have their issues uh, there's no perfect solution and you know this is also offline is not a perfect solution either um none of the the solutions are perfect and they never will be um for the most part i think uh, but it's just a different model effectively trying to solve a different use case a different problem yeah that's right yeah and you mentioned um so maybe you want to talk a little bit about what the solution looks like so for, for listeners obviously it's an audio show but if you wouldn't mind just kind of spelling out for them what does it actually look like if they were to look at a offline setup yep so there's effectively two how do we explain two this? halves isn't it? there's two halves <laughs> yeah. to it each half off. One half is the hot wallet, one half is the cold wallet. Each half has uh, a Raspberry Pi and then alongside it a camera. It's kind of, each one is mirrored. So the hot camera is looking at the cold Raspberry Pi and the cold camera is looking at the hot Raspberry Pi. And then they communicate back and forth via QR codes in an air-gapped manner. And um, we put it in a nice shiny little 3D printed case. Uh, that 3D printer was running overdrive on. Yep. <laughs> it's like a big 40-hour print. So yeah, that's, that's yeah, the basic setup. In a nutshell, thing. Um, if you watch the video, um, we've put video out on social so you can probably watch that and see uh, just to get an idea for yourselves of, of how that mm. looks and how it works kind of looks a bit weird and looks a bit crazy i think we had a few people talk, touching on they thought it was just a lego uh, piece of lego <laughs> put together which coincidentally we actually started with lego before we did the 3d yeah. printing and we um we built a, a case with lego to hold the, the pies and the cameras mm. uh, but it wasn't quite as good as the, the 3d printed, uh, 3D model. printed model. it's also it's it's the very first form factor so we've got you know there's several ideas out there how to make it super small and you know we don't need to use raspberry pies we can use own custom hardware or smaller hardware and smaller screens so it's the very first incarnation more of a proof of concept of yeah. the crazy idea yeah it was a little bit of an r&d project i think for, yeah. for some of us uh, here in the team and a big part of it as well I would like to, to kind of get the message out there to people as well that doing these things it's, it's an R&D project we've put it out there to the community we've actually had very good feedback so far we've not really had anything too negative in, in any respect but um, we're hoping part of this also just opens people's eyes up to what you know there's still innovation to be done in Bitcoin there's still things that can be created there's still problems to solve using things around the Bitcoin industry and the infrastructure so it's kind of a don't stop 
innovating and working on Bitcoin, there, there's lots to do still. Um, so hopefully it helps inspire others to, to follow and do something as potentially crazy as what this may be. <laughs> right, right. And so let's talk a little bit about what it might be useful for. So as I understand from what you're saying, it's not necessarily that you're going to replace your cold storage with this Hoffline <laughs> project, but it might be that you use this as your new hot wallet instead, because maybe this is like a more secure way to have a quote unquote warm wallet as opposed to just having like a single signature everything on one computer kind of style yeah exactly yeah it's it's kind of a, a step forward for the, the hot wallet where you can now take the keys purely offline to an air gapped machine um and that will it's a step forward on the, the current models that are in place shall we say and the security and it's an advancement in the security aspects of it as is was bitgo with their multi-sig and things like that compared to just a standard uh, standalone hot wallet on a, a server for example um so these things are just step forwards each time and, and improving each time. So yeah, we wouldn't ever hold our uh, 100% of our cold storage, uh, cold stored uh, bitcoins in there. Um, you know, that would still be silly. We'd still operate it like a, treat it like a hot wallet, but it's that additional uh, comfort that the keys are never on a, a, a physical machine that is physically online at any point. Gotcha. And I guess, so then that would theoretically make it harder for somebody to attack. Like, let's say now they they would have to physically get there and access to the to the offline device to try and mm -hmm. somehow extract the keys out of there and then run away and somehow, you know, spend it out away. And yeah, the biggest attack vector is physical, which is with anything really, but we've even had crazy ideas about how you deal with that. You know, you can put it in vaults, put it, you know, you can have a multi-sig setup. So you have five of these around the world. Um, yeah, so there's so many other ideas building on top of this that so could make it. Those. Those. So, cool. up there. Uh, so yeah, it would allow for the multi-sig piece. So we could have two of these setups or three of these setups and you can dot them around the world and the keys would still be offline. So the, all three keys, for example, there are all required to sign the transaction. Um, but all three of them keys are purely offline and never go online at any point. So that, again, is another advancement. It's something that we'll be playing around with as well. So yeah, that reduces the physical attack vector, I guess, from the digital attack vector, should we call it. So the um, online piece, I know there's a lot of queries about, well, what if you somebody compromises the online machine and then displays a QR code that tells them to send Bitcoin, 10 Bitcoin to an address that's a, a hacker's address. Obviously, we've put mitigations in place for things like that. So there's, for example, when a customer goes onto the website they input their address and their amount. Um, there's a, should we call it a secret key at the web end, hashes and creates a, a signature which gets recorded called secondary database. I'm, I'm being fairly vague with some of this, mm. uh, just um, from a security perspective anyway. And we'll call that, that signature effectively goes into a secondary database. Um, and when the hot wallet, um, the hot machine pulls down the data to send the transaction, so it'll pull some from the database, it'll, some, it'll pull the signature, for example, from the secondary database. And that signature can then be passed in the QR codes to the offline machine. And the offline machine has the secret key as well. It's only stored there and at the web interface layer at that point point it can then verify that the request effectively came from the customer from the website um, so even if you compromise a piece in the middle like the online machine you would still also need to compromise the website at the same time as well so there's certain mitigations put in place there to effectively reduce i guess the the, the success of an attack um, so there's multiple mm. machines in multiple locations that have to be compromised to even attempt an attack shall we say i think we've also talked about ideas around so a lot of these exchanges nowadays work off a whitelisting address system where you have to whitelist the withdrawal address so you could even have that whitelist is stored 
on the offline one as well. So if any malicious actor did try and do something, they could only, you know, it's mitigating where they can withdraw the Bitcoins to. So there's loads of mitigations there we've thought of, um, which we're working on too. Yeah, fascinating. And so then it's also a process of different technologies in the ecosystem all come in. And, you know, one example could be that we, over the last, say, year or two, we started to see more attention drawn to this idea of QR code PSBT, right? And before we even had that, we had to have PSBT. And then now, yeah, we're starting to see more development in QR codes and this idea of having QR code hardware wallets as well, like even Spectre DIY. Uh, I did an episode with Stepan Snijurev about that one. Um, The foundation guys are doing their device that's a qr kind of like a qr native mm-hmm. device as well so i guess that's an example of like the technologies kind of building up on what came before yeah completely yeah um i think i'd, I'd listen to the um stepan snijarev yeah stefan is it stefan or steven stepan, the, the stepan sorry the, the yes I think, yeah. yeah um yeah listen to that one i think with the qr and uh yeah it's, it's very interesting and i think he highlights in that as well it's just a different way i know uh, cold card for example um they do it with the sd card and it's just a different method and then i don't think they're actually moving the qr code anymore uh, they had plans for that but i think they've, they've scrapped plans for that now but um it's just again a different model um and it's a different method so each one has its own attack vectors but um each one has its pros mm. and its cons and it's, it's all about trade offs isn't it yeah it's going to be who who finds it useful and who doesn't some will some won't um i think that's hopefully what the offline piece will be as well um it's going to be who finds it useful who doesn't maybe it doesn't fit quite right for a uh, for bitgo for example because they they operate in a different manner i guess to the way this is maybe intended to use because they operate with exchanges as their customers whereas this is kind of more like the exchange can use this themselves take that custody back and, and not have to outsource it to bitgo for example mm. Or another one, which is one we are quite keen to play around with, but haven't actually had the time yet. Uh, we will pursue at some point um, is the Umbrella nodes because Umbrella's become a, a very popular Bitcoin node setup with obviously Lightning built in as well, which is is very good. And you could actually have this same setup your Umbrella node, so that would be effectively your Umbrella node. Um, so your keys for that effectively are stored offline as well to alleviate, I guess, any worries as well. For for the most part, you can people can access their Umbrella node remotely. And if you want to send a Bitcoin transaction, you can do that. And actually, if you then have um, 2FA effectively, you can have Google Authenticator on your phone. And that same mm-hmm. Google Authenticator code is also on the offline device. So when you come to make a transaction remotely, you can do that and input the Google 2FA and the offline can verify that for you there. So it starts to mean that there's a bit more of security around running your umbrella node in terms of sending the Bitcoin out and removing them. Um, so it's definitely something that I think, hopefully, as you touch on there, that we've kind of taken some of the QR code pieces from the cold storage side and try to use them in a solution that we can potentially use and hopefully then the guys at Umbrella and, and other people can use what we've built and build on top of that to uh, keep creating um, better and better products and infrastructure. Yeah, that's cool. And so then it doesn't necessarily have to be a project for exchanges. It could be that maybe some other small business who wants to roll their own warm wallet and now they want to take that code and run their own little offline thing. So, you know, that's one example where maybe some, or, you know, or maybe another example might be like a Bitcoin beach, right? It's a community of people and they've got like a community lightning wallet. Maybe that's like another example there. Uh, so I guess there's just ways it can be used in other places, not necessarily an exchange. Yep. Yeah, I think we talked about as well taking it one step further with lightning trying around playing around with storing the macaroons on the offline one and that kind of thing um so all that is kind of not in the pipeline but stuff we're thinking about too and interested in pursuing yeah yeah I mean, the conversation with lightning labs guys again i think on around it <laughs> yeah yeah let's see what we can come up with and so 
that's the other thing as well with a lot of exchanges now. I mean, they are now starting to get lightning. And so I know you guys have lightning just recently, right? Um, so that's cool to see. I'm very excited to see that. I, I love to see, you know, lightning um, being uh, adopted by the ecosystem. So is that something you're looking at as well? I mean, you mentioned that you might potentially look at a way to have... Yeah. Hoffline do a lightning thing like how would that work <laughs> yeah we're still very early at the moment we're not quite sure ourselves yeah um, yeah i think similar to what zach said there with the macaroons and you pass them across in the qr code so the effectively the the node is still sat running offline for some extent i know they've mm. lightning labs have actually got a uh, release coming with lnd is it i don't know if it's coming soon mm-hmm. um which starts to allow the you can have a lightning node and receive lightning payments offline where the keys are kept offline is it correct me if i'm wrong zach <laughs> uh, there's talk around that yeah i think um, isn't there? which would be an interesting um, development, which would be good. But there's obviously still the side of it. If you want to send lightning payments out of your node, that still needs to be online. So Mm -hmm. then it's how can we maybe find some way mm-hmm. there to, to use this method. I appreciate uh, speed is, I guess, a trade-off for this particular method with the QR codes because it can be slow to, to transact between the two uh, cameras. Um, so maybe Lightning doesn't quite work with this, but mm-hmm. you know, there's an idea out there and hopefully somebody can spin something off that mm-hmm. solves the speed problem um, and it can be instant. And we know the Lightning Labs yeah. are definitely pursuing ideas around how to do things more securely and yeah, bringing keys offline and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So then maybe what it would look like in the future is you might have a lightning wallet and then the offline for the kind of bigger than a typical lightning send and then like the cold. So you kind of you'd have like a multi sort of stage your layers of like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's awesome. So watch this space. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering with Oh yeah, the other that's the other thing. It's um it also kind of reminds me of CK Bunker, right? So that's another cold card project and it's like this idea that you could set up I th- and I think Minode has it as one of the options. I can't recall if it's still there now, but I know they had it mm. and it was kind of this idea that you can roll your own cosigner, right? And so it's sort of a similar idea there that it got integrated yeah, into yeah. one of the Node projects and you know, I guess it's kind of like a in a similar vein to that. Yeah, the CK Bunker actually is one. We'd missed that one because we were looking around for this. um, I guess it's hard because we were looking for hot wallet automated hot wallets with offline keys which is kind of the, the mm. problem we was looking to solve um but then there's other people that have built very similar like you're saying there with the ck bunker very similar technology but it's for a slightly different scenario to what we were looking for so we never came across that and that was one that i didn't come across um and there's been a lot of comments on it from people saying go and look at ck bunker it's sort of similar um setup so I, it's one i do need to go off and look at still mm-hmm. uh, i haven't had the time to look at that but um yeah that sounds interesting yeah but yeah i think seeing it these kind of things integrated with the the node projects is is a good thing it's like letting people take in charge take their charge of their own security in a way you know they're putting a lot of money it allows you to expose yourself more on these on these personal nodes rather than just playing around with lightning feeding chickens it can actually turn into something um, you know of note yeah i think with umbrella as well it's allowing obviously it's more people running nodes more decentralization um and, and all the, the good things that come from that and i think as time goes on as well we've now got the, the umbrella piece where it is very easy to set up and run your own node and it sits there running and, and you don't really have there's no maintenance it just sits there running mm-hmm. and but you can use it and interact with it but i think as time goes on that obviously with any technology um things adapt things change uh, we imagine as Zach touched on at the very start we're t- talking about you know 
actually reducing the Raspberry Pis down just to the little chips and, and tiny screens, which maybe we can then uh, encompass into a, a, a tiny box almost. And that box could be your effectively your umbrella node, but it just sits in the corner of your house and, and you can run it and operate everything you need to off that um, in a secure, trusted manner. So there, that, that will eventually come. And I know we see your smart TVs, smart fridges and things like that. And eventually um, there was the Doom. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, what's the, the meme? Oh, can it run Doom? Can it run Doom? Ah, yeah. Just try and put the game yes. on any kind of electronic yeah. device with a screen. Um, so it'd be quite interesting one to see, uh, can it run Bitcoin um, and uh, run Bitcoin on any device around the world? And hopefully that's the future where, yeah, your light bulb is, is running a Bitcoin node, for example. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting to see. And um, I guess that the other thing from CK Bunker is that idea of policy rules. And so just like you were mentioning, Zach, that you might whitelist certain addresses mm. or you might say, uh, I'm going to rate limit the withdrawals from this device to say no more than you know 50 million sats in a 24 hour period. That kind of, You can build these sort of policy rules into the offline device to then yeah. rate limit the withdrawals to sort of. Yeah, exactly. And then th- those can be changed depending on like say an exchange depending on their comfortability with how much exposure they want like say certain volumes can go to like a manual sign off and yeah address whitelist and mitigation helps at the end of the day doesn't it yeah yeah i mean we even thought of um well, i think i actually put that in the tweet thread was uh, the the blockstream satellite and mm. receiving transactions from there and and that means we could run a bitcoin core full node on there um which i don't know if somebody will class that as offline at that point because you've got a satellite kind of connected and pulling in so maybe that's uh, debatable but yeah a little things like that which seems crazy but you know maybe that's the way that that's the way innovation is created and how it how it happens so uh, we just keep playing and we'll see what else we we come up with yeah and so it's all about the industry is growing up professionalizing maturing and so <laughs> there are different obviously people like you and me and my listeners we're all more hardcore bitcoin people but for the people who aren't like us they they want things like insurance companies to be comfortable with it they want regulators to be comfortable with it and maybe these are some of the innovations that help get those people over the line so that they change their minds and say okay i'm working in some insurance company and now that i've seen this new security technique maybe i'll start to offer insurance or lower the premiums available on it that kind of aspect yeah completely i think insurance is a big one we've um over the years um it's obviously we mentioned before we were founded in 2014 so we've been running since then and we've pretty much since then spoken to various insurance companies banks obviously is a whole different ball game and we speak to them all the time um but the insurance companies yeah we originally there was like there was no chance of insurance it was just a, a blank no then as time progressed we've gotten to they'll insure cold storage but they wouldn't touch hot wallets because they were the, the big issue um but you had to have certain they had like a structure that you had to do and follow for the cold storage to actually be insured uh, and you had to do certain things to make sure it was all insured and then at that point it's slowly adapted now to they've become more comfortable with um, as technology's moved on and the, the processes for cold storing bitcoins has moved on and, and developed and similar now we are starting to see insurance companies now starting to insure hot wallets up to certain levels and um, they're slowly easing, easing, easing off and as you say it's completely correct as mm-hmm. as time moves on and technology um, becomes better these institutes become more comfortable um, and over time that changes uh, and I think we even had um, was it uh, one of the guys in here the, uh, the morning after the announcement of Hoffline they went into school to drop the kids off and got stopped in the playground by somebody who actually worked in a bank and was then asking about Hoffline and what it, how it works <laughs> and everything so that is, is a good step in stepping forwards in the right direction so actually I'm curious then on your view Danny what institutions are there 
that are still blocking and that we need, you know, the industry broadly, the Bitcoin industry needs to evolve a little bit further before that kind of company or institution is okay with us? Um, I think banks are, are the, mm. always the big one um, for the most part. The piece that I guess prevents a lot of people around the world um, being able to gain exposure to Bitcoin, obviously the regulators as well, of course, are a sticking point for some countries. Uh, we're seeing in the UK already at the minute, I think this week, we've, was it this week? Uh, NatWest announcement, or there's not an announcement, but there's mm. a leak from NatWest that they're going to stop anybody being able to buy Bitcoin from a NatWest account, which is 6 million customers they have. And, um, you know, it's quite a big bank in the UK. So uh, that would be a little bit of a backward step for us. And it's certainly a backward step for them. Um, but that has actually come from, not from, it's kind of moved on from they're not comfortable with it or they don't like it and it's used for crime and things like that. But it's, it's actually moved on to um, something called APP fraud, uh, which is um, effectively people being scammed by maybe something like a romance scam or something along them lines where um, they've been told that they need to pay these people Bitcoin for X, Y, and Z reasons. And they come to an exchange, they might bank at NatWest, for example, they send 10,000 pounds over to Coin Corner. Um, they buy the Bitcoin with us, they send it off to this person who they believe is legitimate and, and all correct. Um, and then they get scammed out of the, the £10,000. And it's the old traditional scams that have been around for centuries. It's nothing new. Um, it's just as technology moves along, the, the scammers find new ways to, to create these scams effectively and to, to mask them, uh, should we call it. Um, so the banks at the minute and the NatWest one in particular, their ban on, on Bitcoin or what we think is a ban potentially um, is purely because of that. It's it's not because they don't like Bitcoin and they don't like how it works or um, anything along that them lines. It's purely now because they're just trying to protect the customer in, in some way. It's still okay. That's not particularly um, right. And maybe in, I don't know how to word that right in my eyes there because it was just 600 customers mm. um, that they were had been scammed out of money for it, which is is obviously a bad thing, and we don't want that happening. Um, but that's 600 customers that had been scammed, and they're detrimenting six million. They're stopping six million being able to use this thing because mm. of 600 customers. Um, and really, they could put procedures and, and policies in place within their company to um, try and handle these people going through the system better. But of course, that costs them more money and more resource and more mm. overhead. So they don't want to do that. Their easiest answer is just to, to ban it and stop it. But I do think, having said that, um, we've had a lot of pushback from HSBC as an example. One again, sorry, I'm going off on banks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a similar thing <laughs> we've seen. Uh, there's different reasons, right? So I know even here in Australia, CBA, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, one of the big banks uh, for people who don't know. I I think they stopped people buying it using credit cards and things like that, but they didn't stop them with you know sending their own money. Um, but I think they were also wary about the whole romance scams and other scams. But unfortunately for us in this industry, bad things will happen, and then Bitcoin gets blamed. They'll say, "Oh, see, Bitcoin. It was a Bitcoin scam when it's no. It was a romance scam, or it was a you know the typical Nigerian prince scam, or one of those other scams that's out there." So it's a it's a, it's a... yeah, exactly that. It really is exactly that. And the, the, the UK have done the same. They don't allow the credit cards. Um, well, most of them don't allow credit card purchases now, but they'll allow you to send your own money. Uh, whereas NatWest now are just saying they're not going to allow you to send your own money as well, mm. which is kind of, um, yeah, Bitcoin solves this uh, <laughs> angle, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, HSBC has been an interesting one where they've been blocking. They've not come out with an announcement or anything, but they have been blocking certain customers. Um, it's only certain customers and certain amounts and values. Um, so it's not every customer. One of them more recent was a high net worth in the blocks and a conversation with him. And now he's looking to uh, leave HSBC and move to another bank because of that. And he's you know high net worth, a high value customer mm. to them. Uh, and he's looking to leave the bank and, and move elsewhere. So I think with the likes of NatWest doing that, they're playing a dangerous game there. They're, they're, they may think it's a quick solution to block 6 million people being able to buy Bitcoin through uh, via their bank. Um, but 
actually how many customers are they going to lose due to that um, rather than them spending a little bit of extra uh, resource and manpower mm. to, to deal with the actual problem uh, rather than just run away from the problem. Yeah, mm. We've even had experience talking to people of um, so the blank bank blocks them trying to buy Bitcoin and they go into the branch, talk to the person for weeks and days saying it's fine, it's clear that it's not a scam and they still refuse to uh, send the money, which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's the, that person's money there. Um, I think one of the things as well as us as, as an exchange, we're a smaller exchange compared to the likes of Coinbase and Binance and things. So mm. um, we see the, the customers that come through, we actually catch a lot of the um, romance style scams or, or uh, high yield investment program style scams. We actually catch them on the way through and we all do manual checks as well. We actually do spend the time and the effort to catch these to protect the customer. Um, and a lot of the time we have saved people. And, and once we explain to them, for us, I guess in the industry, we see these scams day in, day out. And we know, you know, if the customer can just tell us, okay, I'm sending the Bitcoin onto this website. We have a quick look at the website. We can tell them within 30 seconds whether that's a scam or not. Um, and then they generally will trust us on that. Mm. And then it prevents them um, sending any money onto it. And either they'll then stay and keep, just keep hold of the Bitcoin with us, or they'll request like a, a refund almost back and, and withdraw the, the money back to the bank. Um, so, you know, we're doing that as a small company. Uh, we're doing that already. Um, the banks could be doing the same thing uh, to protect their customers as well, but they're just not. Mm. Um, it's kind of a, a quick solution is just ban it and ignore it for the time being. Again. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's all, all changing and uh, it's, it's moving the, the better direction. Definitely. Back to the show after a word for the sponsors of the show. Coinkite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. The cold card has been specially locked down, so you can think of it as a specialized device designed for holding your Bitcoin private keys and also signing messages when you need to spend. And the cold card is really versatile. You can use it as part of a single signature setup or as part of a multi-signature setup with, say, Unchained or Casa. The cold card has all sorts of features like the ability to use it totally air-gapped. You don't have to directly plug it to the computer. So that gives you a lot of possibilities and flexibility there. So go and get yours at coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. So multi-signature, it's often talked about, but a lot of people are not ready to go there yet. So if you're sitting on a single signature hardware wallet setup, well, why don't you think about upgrading to multi-signature? You can remove single points of failure. You can have two hardware wallets and separate those locations so that you have additional security. So Unchained Capital have this vault that you can set it up with no setup or storage fees if you build it on your own. But on the other hand, if you need a help, they've got a concierge service so you can have them ship you to hardware wallets. They'll do calls with you, get you set up, set up your vault and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. So use the code Levera to get a discount there. Unchained Capital are doing excellent things in this space with open source contributions as well as content. So go to unchained.com and find out more. Have you thought about Bitcoin backups and inheritance? CypherGrid is the new product available for pre-order by CypherSafe.io. This is the best value in the industry. It's a metal seed backup product for your 24 seed words. It's got privacy by default. The two plates are facing each other to hide your seed words. It's stainless steel hardware. You get a tamper evidence seal provided and an automatic center punch provided. You can also lock it with a padlock. So there's lots of ways to help ensure that you or your loved ones can access your bitcoins if something happens to you while also giving you some additional points of security and um, ability to know if it's been tampered with. And like all CypherSafe products, it's made from stainless steel, it's fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So go to cyphersafe.io to order yours and use the code Levera for a discount. 
Back to the show. One thing that brings up for me is we have these conversations and often we're talking about really technical things and, you know, it's typically conversations with developers or very tech-savvy, hardcore, you know, people who are going to actually go and do the work. And then if you talk to, if you go to like a Bitcoin meetup and you're talking to a new coiner or even, you know, just someone on the street, their level of technical knowledge or competence, like they might not even be using a password manager. They might, you know, you, you try to impress on them the importance, hey, write down these 12 words, write down these 24 words and keep them very safe. Do not show anymore and they'll lose it right and so i'm wondering what where do you guys believe we have to strike that balance of obviously we want people to be fully self-sovereign but then how much of that is like we're trying to you know do things for people Mm. i think we're literally having a a kind of a similar conversation yesterday just about money in general and how a lot of the world certainly i didn't i don't know daddy didn't when you're growing up you don't get taught how money works and what fractional reserve banking is and all that kind of thing so i think it's hard for the then when you're trying to orange pill someone for them for those people to really understand why we're so passionate about it why we're so insistent on you know security self-sovereignty that kind of thing so we usually go at an angle you teach them how money works and then they, they come up then they work out themselves it's really... better that way if they come up with the, yeah. the idea themselves rather than preaching at somebody i think kind of when anyone asks me questions i generally go back with questions back to them rather than answer the questions to help them think for themselves and come up with the answer themselves rather than me pushing the answer on them because people don't like to be pushed information on they like to come up with that solution and answer themselves and then they think they're a genius and it all works and off they go <laughs> um so it, it works much better um i think we found over the years to kind of as zach's saying there educate them or help push them in the direction of actually go and learn about what money is and how it works and how the economy works at a basic level at least and that, that gives mm. them kind of opens their eyes into bitcoin is and how that works and um, then they come back with the more interesting questions at that point and you can have the conversation a bit better with them and yeah i think it'd be great for everybody to 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 run their own and handle their own um, node and Bitcoin. But I think the world we live in, it just doesn't, it's just not a thing that I don't think we'll ever get. Um, you'll never get 100% of the population of the globe running it and using it. Mm. Um, all from their own nodes and their own hardware, software, whatever you want to call that, uh, that perspective. But so what you end up with is companies maybe like ourselves or, or Coinbase and the likes where people will need to go to Coinbase and will need to uh, sign up and buy Bitcoin there and hold the Bitcoin there. And they don't want to have to look after it themselves. People, uh, my, <laughs> my, uh, my uh, saying that I always say in the office, um, I get a lot of slate for, but people are lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a generalization. There's a great example of the uh, the webcam and how the webcam is created. Um, and in laziness drives innovation and creates innovation. Um, and the webcam was created because the um, the guys at was it Cambridge University, one of the universities, they they had a, a coffee machine or a coffee pot in a different office to where they were working, and they didn't <laughs> want to get up to go and check when it was ready or when it was empty each time. So they decided to they created a webcam to watch it basically, to watch a coffee pot. Uh, and you know they were just too lazy to get up from their desk and walk into the room next to them to see if it needed filling up or, mm. or either. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it does create innovation, uh, the laziness, but people are lazy and people don't want to have to deal and learn and do mm. these things themselves. So I think, unfortunately, you, we will always have some form of um, custodial services out there that are looking after uh, customer funds. And, you know, that also does come with the benefits of um, nicer, smoother products mm. sometimes and nicer integrations of things. So uh, there's not all it's not all downsides. I think the custodial uh, custodial services are kind of, the gateway drug to the rabbit hole really of yeah. for the people that want to go down it because it is very overwhelming trying to learn all this stuff as a no coiner you know if you're learning straight away about um, private keys and seed words and you know st- storing it yourself um the custodial services are like a gateway drug really you, easy to use website
website uh, they're used to using websites and then then once they've got a bit of bitcoin they go down the rabbit hole and um, if they want to go and set up their own node and withdraw the coins and i think it'll be very different depending on where you are in the world as well Um, I think obviously we've seen the El Salvador piece where uh, 70% of the country there are unbanked and you know they don't have the bank account and, and custodian already so they're used to effectively having everything themselves mm-hmm. so you know I assume and imagine they'll quite heavily move down the non-custodial route I appreciate they're using some of them using Strike at the minute and things which is custodial but there's plenty of lightning wallets out there now that are non-custodial that they can use um, very easy as well like the likes of Phoenix and Breeze and, and uh, Moon is yeah. Um, agree. That's cool. And I know you guys have been doing some videos on this as well, because uh, you had some of those videos. And this is even like like a year ago or half a year ago. You did those videos where you showed lightning live between like three people and you would send, I, I can't remember how much, maybe $200 between, you know, one A to B to C, just like, like that. And I think yeah. it's so cool because you know, it just shows because sometimes you'll be having some discussion on Twitter and someone will be like, oh, lightning doesn't work. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. and then I would go and like yes. quote tweet your <laughs> that yeah, video yeah. And be like, oi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see it right here in like 20 seconds. It moves across A to B to C just like that. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think um, exactly what you said. I love the, the whole thing when people say, well, lightning doesn't work. And then you show them, just show them it working. Or I've even got people to just sit there with me and say, download Phoenix Wallet and I'll send you some now. And it's like, then they, they argue, well, it's custodial. I'm like, no, it's not. It's non-custodial now as well. That And you can, mm. this technology is being developed constantly in the background there. Um, and if you're a year out of date with it, you've already, you've lost the, the race there. So yeah, them, them videos were kind of uh, trying to educate, do exactly what we're talking about there. Try and under- get people to understand how lightning works and show it works and it does work. Um, we made a point we did the one there that you're talking about with three of us um i think that was myself yourself and zap uh, sorry and matt was it yeah and then we did one where we got i think there's 12 of us mm. in a circle and there's all 12 of us stood around in a circle and we made the point of everybody we sent uh it was only like ten dollars was it yeah, yeah. Point, from the very starting from person one all the way around to person 12 and the video was like a, was like a minute and 11 seconds long yeah, or something, something it wasn't like particularly long and it was the same chunk of lightning bitcoin that was being passed around through all of these uh, 12 people and the 12 wallets but we also made a, a point of using different wallets between each person mm. so you could see that it was even if people would say oh we're well, using custodial and it's phoenix to phoenix to phoenix then actually no we made a point of going from phoenix to wallet of satoshi to breeze to um eclair to and like backgrounds mm. and circles so it was always leaving um effectively a custodial uh, a custodian um at that point so it was again it was one of them things just to show lightning works and mm. it is out there it's working people can use it um the adoption at the minute is is still slow and takes time and that's natural with any technology that's just the way it happens um but i think especially with the el salvador thing that's a real eye-opener for people and i think we've seen um quite a few of them now doing exactly the same sort of videos and paying for coffee with lightning and things and you know it just it's, it's showing people the video is so much more powerful sometimes than a lot mm-hmm. of words on on the screen and um, just showing them how it works a good example well not example is what makes me laugh is we have regular calls with the lightning labs guys and, uh, <laughs> i remember on the last one they were asking us you know what's going on any issues it was like no nah, it just works it's, <laughs> it's just yeah. just as simple as that it's, so we have we have periodic calls with them just in touch base and um like with, usually with ryan and uh, alex ryan gentry and, and alex bosworth and, yeah um sort of going through and it is literally them conversations they're kind of like they're looking for problems so they can help improve the product and improve lnd 
Um, but we get to a point where it's just it's, it's working fine. We don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we have one of the things we were looking forward to was um, pool for the liquidity side. But then what we actually introduced at the start of this year, we introduced Lightning uh, to our exchange piece of the business. We used to have it on the gateway only. So our merchants could pay, you know, customers could pay the merchants in Lightning. So it was only one-way traffic effectively with that. What we've now got with the exchange going in and out so we could do deposits and withdrawals for customers, it kind of balances itself out mm. a little bit. So we've, we've not even needed to loop out or maintenance wise yeah it's very little from us which is surprising yeah. Yeah. um it's good so effectively the, the liquidity we have sat there on that lightning node is just pretty much balances itself in, to an out. extent yeah yeah it balances itself out so it's very little maintenance and, and upkeep to be quite honest to keep it ticking over so this is what frustrates us when we see other particularly bigger exchanges hmm. say you know they'll don't have the time and the resource to add lightning and things and it's complicated and, and all this but they'll add all these altcoins and mm. and crack on with them um because it makes some money it's a revenue generating uh, thing for the altcoins whereas lightning's a short-term loss should we call it for a long-term gain and they're going with the short-term gain for the long-term loss attitude i think is, is the way we see it but yeah it's it's not that complicated so if you're running a bitcoin wallet yourself then it's not that much more difficult to, to add lightning in mm. i think the the difficult piece which i do appreciate from a larger company like coinbase i think kraken have been struggling with that recently is not lightning itself as such it's bringing lightning into their systems and into their system which is a quite a, a substantial size system uh, i think that's the piece that's slowing them all down from what i can tell mm. um, so which is a good thing it's a positive thing for lightning because it means it's not lightning that's the issue and yeah. the complexity it's it's their systems their internal systems themselves yeah good point so yeah hopefully more will adopt it as time goes on as well mm. yeah and uh, i like that you've kind of got that natural balance going there operating a basically a payment processing lightning pre- basically a lightning payment processor for merchants and then on the other side some customers you might want to receive in lightning so that's kind of like you're going to you know receive in from then and spend out to the other to the exchange customers right yeah yeah so yeah yeah it's it's worked so nicely it just balances Mm. itself out and it's it's so little maintenance i think for some of the big exchanges as well i appreciate they may be cracking for example maybe bigger volumes and bigger sizes and they'll have to run multiple nodes for uh, lightning nodes but you know if once you've got enough liquidity in there and you're comfortable with it it will probably balance itself out 50 50 for the most part and Mm. and if it doesn't the services like pool and loop um, which are now becoming automated services as well lightning labs are doing a good job on getting everything automated you can set it up and then just let it go Um, yeah that's cool to see and so I'm curious then as well. So are there some customers who really do live day to day on Lightning or is it kind of more like most of the time people are stacking to their you know, hardware wallet or their multi-sig kind of thing? Because one thing I've been thinking about is like when you like have a Lightning interaction with an exchange, unless you're directly spending it out, it's kind of maybe it doesn't make sense to kind of receive, receive, receive over Lightning and then flush it out on chain in the Lightning wallet. I mean, maybe you would, but like the channel capacities might not work for that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that or if it's kind of just worked for people anyway uh yeah well i was just going to comment so i was thinking in my head i was trying to think of our numbers of percentage wise of customers um doing lightning and yeah, I don't. I don't think we we don't probably have too many living. I guess our customer base is UK and yeah. um, Europe as well. So for the majority of our customers, they are, as you say, they're they're buying Bitcoin and, and withdrawing it to hold themselves, or they're buying it and holding it with us. So there's not many, I would say, that are living off Lightning um, for some part. There, there has been a couple more recent that are starting to we're starting to see Lightning deposits coming in from places, and then they're holding that with us, mm. or they're doing something uh, with that. So there is certainly an uptick at the minute in mm. terms of Lightning usage of customers actually just receiving lightning payments coming mm. in and um, and only using lightning as well which yeah. is what we like to see a lightning only coin corner user yeah so yeah there's nothing on chain just all lightning the lightning maxi 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are seeing an, a little bit of an uptick in them, but they're they're still small. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of sorry, what was the, the second question? Was the capacity? Yeah. So basically, like, would it kind of work with the channel capacities? Or I guess, I mean, if you're using these, you know, the Phoenix Breeze and Moons of the world, it probably just automatically balances things out and manages over time, right? Once you've done those first few channel opens and closes and things, it just kind of it kind of just works. But maybe if your first transaction is maybe only 500 sats, then that might get eaten up by channel open. And so there's little complexities there. Maybe they have to start with custodial if they're in a very small amount. Um, but once they've graduated up, then they're ready to go fully, you know, a bit more sovereign, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely is it is an issue, should we call it, um, for the channel balancing. But I think that's, again, one of them things as, as time moves on, these things change and what Breeze and Phoenix and the guys have done with, it's not one necessarily uh method is it but with um turbo channels and uh trampoline payments and things the way they've kind of bundled all them together mm. to make the products of what they've created there as a non-custodial but you can open channels instantly and start using lightning instantly um i think i, I tested one the other day it was uh with phoenix was actually it might have been a come off the back of the conversation with yourself um on twitter um and it was about uh how you can get somebody to download phoenix and basically send them a lightning payment straight away um, and then with that payment, uh, I sent, I think it was 10,000 sats was maybe the minimum. And I think they took a 3,000 sat fee, which was affected with the channel opening. But it was, they could use it because they use the turbo channel side of things. They could just start using Lightning straight away and instantly. Uh, didn't have to wait for mm. the confirmation for the channel to be created on, on the on-chain, mm. on the blockchain. And I think with uh, custodial services like ourselves, I, I remember when we kind of launched our Lightning, we had a few questions around, uh, is it in a different account? How does it work, you know, in the dashboard? But it's just your Bitcoin in your account and you can use it either on Lightning or on chain it's like just one account there's, there's no need to put it onto lightning and then do it uh, which is the benefits of custodial obviously yeah, um, yeah that's the trade-offs i guess the ux on a with a custodian um like ourselves will be much better for the customer and that will easier to use for the lazy yeah. should we call it they don't even have to think um, about channels and that kind of thing yeah, yeah and the ones that then don't want to keep it with a custodian and they want to do it themselves then they can deal with the channel openings and things which mm. um as we appreciate at the minute it's still new technology and, and there is hiccups or speed bumps that you have to get over to to kind of um make use full use of it should we say but it's it's getting easier and easier i think with uh as i keep mentioning there the phoenix guys the breeze and, and moon and then obviously the custodial side with ourselves uh, bitfinex now and um, mm -hmm. strike obviously uh, they've quite nailed their ux i think uh, everyone seems to love it i've never been able to try the strike app out myself because uh, we're <laughs> not us but everyone seems to love it um which is great yeah that's cool to see i'm also curious as well i mean we're talking about lightning what are your thoughts on the mempool uh, of late do you believe that let's say segwit and batching and maybe lightning use are actually making a real difference now and actually that might be is that part of the reason why maybe we're seeing less uh transaction volume on chain um or or do you think it kind of it just kind of balances out over time yeah it's a hard one to predict isn't it because obviously at the start of the year with the price movements um the mempool didn't empty for three or four months yeah. And then now you look now, it's um, emptying all the time. And I think with the likes of was it blockchain.com recently uh, supported Segwit and we saw a massive bump in um, mm. Segwit percentage. Finally. Uh, finally. <laughs> yeah. Now just tap roots again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a hard one to say what, what factors uh, are important in that really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think there's... The, the there's a combination, I think, of a lot of things. I think Lightning, yes, definitely for mm. me, is a, a contributor to that and, and maybe don't know how significant that is at the minute. Well, um, the bit refill stuff from the other day yeah. um, incredible. was incredible. They managed to save, what, 
I think we worked out it was two two blocks from the day um, of the transactions. I think it was more than that actually because I think they got some of their yeah. numbers wrong. But... So that's direct um, numbers there on yeah, so what bit refill are doing. 144 blocks that go uh, generally get mined in the day. One company receiving payments from one country saved two blocks of, of space um, on that day uh, on one particular day. So it's mm. like, you know, you can see the scale of that and actually if they were all on chain, then that's two extra blocks worth of data that was mm. getting piled into the, the mempool effectively. And then the, the um, fees of all those but the, all those yeah, transactions well, would have been significantly higher than the, yeah. the lightning fees. So without a doubt, we are seeing that and there is proof now and there's evidence to see that, which is good. But I do think the other side of it as well, which um, we can't always just talk about the positive side, I guess the, the negative side of it is maybe that the industry is having a bit of a slowdown. Um, you'll see things if you look on like Google Trends and people searching for Bitcoin, we see that from um, mm. customers hitting the website. We had a, probably had a, quite a slowdown probably over the last month maybe yeah. uh, in terms of registrations. And it's starting to pick back up again at the minute with the, the recent drop, but not quite the level it was January, February, March at the start of this year. Um, so I think we, we as an industry, we see this all the time. You have the, the spikes and the peaks of interest and then it dies off for a little bit and then it comes back round again. And, and that seems to be the way it goes. Um, so I think with the mempool as well, kind of follows mm. um, trends with that, really. And we need we need obviously layer two for that scalability. Um, we all remember, even though I was fairly new to the industry in 2017, the, the mempool was um, crazy. Yeah, and the yeah, price went mental. Joined at a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was like <laughs> it was, <laughs> that was good fun. The backlog was the biggest it's ever been, and it was yeah. it was chaos. And that was just after the uh, the hard fork mm. Segwit two X stuff. And, and then um, look how far we've come since then. We've managed to the mempool and the Bitcoin network has processed the same amount and not had that same backlog yeah. and that's due to the likes of segwit and lightning adoption and that kind of thing so we have seen direct impact there it just takes time doesn't it um, yeah 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 great examples there with bit refill on their own taking out two blocks and i know uh nicholas from bitcoin beach or from galoy money the the people uh, the team behind bitcoin beach's wallet he he mentioned recently that they had a day where they had i think it was seven thousand transactions of which only 14 or i think roughly 14 went on chain so that's you know massive savings there as well so it's kind of we're seeing some real growth there um although although like you like we're saying it's it's still early days and it's not the only factor as you said the industry industry has its uh, ups and downs and flows based on you know the the price and um, that's always a factor there um one other area i was keen to actually touch on i just thought of this as well is around bitcoin core contributions i know this is one of those things where some exchanges and bitcoin companies choose to fund a, a development organization but uh, as i understand you've kind of taken that in-house can you tell us a little bit about your experiences there yeah um sure that so what we did with that was i've I've always been very, I'm a software developer by trade, so I'm a techie um, and I always get actively involved in that side of things. Um, and I've always been from the early days, I was very much, um, should we call it a lurker and I was always paying attention to it and I was looking at the GitHub and doing things from a distance, should we call it. But I never really got hands on with it and actually got stuck in. So uh, we got to a point with the tech team here, didn't we? Mm. And we were discussing it and we said, well, you know, we want to help contribute to Bitcoin a little bit more. Obviously we, do, we run the exchange and we obviously are onboarding new customers every day. So, you know, we, we are contributing mm. our our contribution to the industry as a whole is onboarding new Bitcoiners every day. But we wanted to do a little bit more and get involved from the tech side. Uh, so we sat down, we had a couple of, um, we, we spent a couple of weeks and we went through yeah. with the summit, with all our tech team and talked through uh, Jimmy Song's book, uh, Jimmy Song's Programming Bitcoin. Yeah. Programming Bitcoin. And we went through that just to show how that Bitcoin works effectively to get the tech guys all understanding the mechanics of all the different pieces of it. Um, and then the next step was to try and encourage the guys to look to Bitcoin Core and actually mm -hmm. contribute something and, and get involved 
And what we want to do with that was not necessarily get involved at the the level of we're not going uh, in there creating, changing the yeah creating a new tap version <laughs> and things like yeah. that. In that changing the respect. protocol on day one. Um, mm. The idea was to kind of we wanted we ended up writing a couple of uh, tutorials of how to contribute and how to do it, and we wanted to do some contributions to be able to write the articles to push that out to other people around to show them it's not as scary as mm. it seems, and the little things like even the um, uh, reviewers. So you're not just it's not just always about writing the code and, and submitting that uh, committing that it's always the reviewers are the ones that we lack i guess from the bitcoin core contribution side um so it, even if it was just to encourage people to look over other people's mm. code and review that code we wanted to try and push the angle and get more and more people mm. involved in it i um, think we we saw a bit of a gap missing in documentation there as well of a few of our tech team and even probably me and danny not that experienced with with open source development um it's a whole different environment to standard development so even the process of you know using git and github and and pull requests and that kind of thing um so we thought the tutorial we wrote would would help people with that and then we are still in the background especially myself still actively trying trying to uh, contribute just at a trivial level got a couple of prs open and have a look at when well, i get some spare time nice yeah the one that's open at the minute hopefully we committed soon with it yeah um, which was to help prevent people reusing addresses uh from GUI yeah so one of my prs is in the gui if once you've an address has been used it just grays it out and says this address has been used so quite trivial and simple but actually quite quite handy in, in, in what it is yeah and um, so the idea i guess yeah, was, sure. was to be more hands-on and, and get actively involved and kind of not put the money where mouth is but sort of you mm-hmm. know um really contribute and be involved in that rather than just we, we do as well contribute to funding some of the developers mm-hmm. at a smaller scale not quite the scale that kraken and, and coinbase might be throwing mm-hmm. around there but um we do at a smaller level contribute to quite a yeah. few of the different uh, core developers as well um so it's it's not necessarily we're doing that just to avoid contributing to the other mm-hmm. guys uh we do that as well yeah um, but it was kind of again another one of the things of trying to help encourage more people and inspire more people to, to get mm-hmm. involved in these things and, and the more we can onboard in that manner uh, the better it becomes yeah. for the ecosystem i think bitcoin core funding like it is very very important Important. and then you see that these big companies go and it's kind of but it does seem like it's the easy way out for them to get the community to like them i'll just go and pay this grant for a developer for a year meaning they don't have to do anything directly yeah. um, whereas we wanted to get hands-on and you know understand understand bitcoin at that level yeah it's encouraging as i keep i keep banging on about it's encouraging more and more people yeah. hopefully to, to do that and we've we have got the tutorials for um windows development side and mac development mac, side yeah. that we've released um which kind of talk you through how to do a um pull request and how to commit it and how to get your first um commit on bitcoin core effectively uh, we're using our examples of what we did to sort of show and highlight the whole process from start to finish uh, and how it all mm. works and how you even set up the development environment and everything so again that was hopefully it was fairly uh, good feedback on that wasn't it which is mm-hmm. good and hopefully encourage more to, to jump in and get involved yeah for sure so uh, yeah if you give me those links I can put those in the show notes for this episode so that'll be stefanlevera.com slash 286 and for any other listeners if you're interested I've got episodes with uh, developers as well you might be interested in the John Attack episode uh, Jonah Schnelli John Newbery Steve Lee various others who've been on the show um, but yeah so Danny and Zach uh, any uh, closing comments for the listeners out there and where can they find you guys online Go on, Danny. Shill your Twitter account. get this in the office all the time uh yeah mainly for me twitter coin corner danny um so yeah always uh, happy to answer questions talk generally on there 24 7 anyway same, same yeah same. coin corner zach 
Z A K K. Spell it slightly different to everyone else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, always on there, always active. Um, closing comments. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something. Something I, inspirational. I, I the, yeah, I, I was almost about to steal uh, Jack Mallers' uh, "We'll Die on This Hill." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think uh, yeah, generally, I'm hoping the, the likes of offline for me and what that is is very much a research and development project and what I keep talking about there, wanting to inspire others to um, jump in and get involved and show people that we, you know, we're a small company compared to the other guys out there and we're still able to do these things and come up with these things. So there's, there's no excuses from anybody and anyone mm-hmm. there to um, not jump in and do these things themselves and, and try these things. Um, you don't even have to be a developer to, to get on board and do various things within the industry and, and help the ecosystem and the infrastructure. Uh, there's lots and lots of different uh, mm. areas that you can get involved in. Um, so yeah, get involved. Fix the money, fix the world. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, so one of you is stealing Jack Mellors and the other one's stealing <laughs> off Marty Ben, eh? We can't call it our own yet. <laughs> Give us time. <laughs> they've got that in uh, influencer training. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> But uh, thanks very much for joining me, guys. Thank Thank you very much, Stefan. Really appreciate it. So I hope you're enjoying the show. Make sure you share the show with your new coiner family and friends so they can learn about Bitcoin. You can find me online at Stefan Levera on Twitter. And my DMs are open if you've got questions as well. Thanks for listening. And I will see you in the Citadels. (laughs)